Welcome to Profitable Powerhouse Properties with the AHI Group. I'm Jonathan Cook. And I'm Brian Jenkins. And today we have with us a special guest, Chris Warren. Hello. Who is with Portfolio Properties and uh, is an actual client of ours, Brian. He is. He is. And and, uh, we enjoy doing business with Chris and we're here to pick his brain a little bit today. Yeah. So I brought Chris in here from... The idea that our listeners are investors or are potentially investors and, you know, they can listen to us all day and, and think, oh, they're just trying to take my money and make, make money off of it. And, I mean, we're not even saying that you have to come to Birmingham, but but from the standpoint of somebody who has done this and made a profit on some properties, I feel like that's a good... Fits right into the title it does. of our podcast. It, well, it fits in. You know, I feel like in like a movie when you say the title it's like that yeah yeah but yeah. but different uh and you know i just wanted to talk with chris about you know his experiences what he's done what he's seen and give everyone here some 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 goals or some trajectory to shoot for yeah uh, how he's evolved what he's currently absolutely. doing and uh, i think there's a little bit of uh i mean there's great information for anybody listening today yeah absolutely and and there's some little key points that i want to talk about that that Chris really feels strongly about, or at least seems that way, that, that has definitely helped us manage his properties really well. It's, it's really helped us uh, develop what he has into some nice properties and, and some that are on their way to that. Um, so, Chris, why don't you tell everyone, hey, and, and tell them how you got into uh, owning, owning real estate. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. Um, I started in real estate when I bought my first house in 2000. I live in Florida and that house was near the beach and I realized very quickly that after I owned it I should probably keep doing that a little bit more. I I liked the idea of building a passive income. I converted my house into a duplex, moved into another one, fixed it up, rented it out, moved out, did that a couple of times. When the crash came, um, fortunately I was in a good position. I had just sold a couple of houses and I took a break for a few years. Beam forward until about 2012, and at that point, I started purchasing small condos, um, still in Florida, West Palm Beach area, and I began buying little condominiums with my self-directed IRAs. And I was fortunate enough to come in at a good time in the market where you know we didn't have the full recovery yet. We could get a good return on investment, and I was using my IRAs, but after a few years, the appreciation was such that the return on equity was no longer a good number. Okay. So uh, about three or four years ago, I started learning about the concept of buying turnkey properties away from the markets that we lived in, and the whole notion of live where you want to live, but invest where it makes sense. So I put a lot of time into learning how do we evaluate different markets, how you would go about owning properties that weren't close to your home, Mm -hmm. how you would buy them. The whole basis behind more of a professional attempt at renting than just having a handful of properties. During that time, I read a little purple book that talked a lot about passive income and realize, you know, this doesn't just have to be a side hustle. You can really retire on a rental portfolio if you build it properly Mm -hmm. and correctly. So about three or four years ago, I started looking for a place to reallocate the equity that had grown in the condominiums that I owned in Florida. Sure. And I began studying the different markets around the country that were strong for turnkey investors. 
I, I looked at all the same ones that everybody else looked at, and it seemed like it was starting to become late in the late in the party. Sure. There had been some run up in some different cities, and I just kept hearing Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. All these reasons why it was a great rental market. The high rents to price ratio. What year was that again? Uh, this would be in 2017. Okay. Early 17. The appreciation hadn't really come back all the way from where it had been before the bubble burst. Sure. In a lot of other markets it had. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of strong property management here. There's a big rehab community. There's favorable landlord laws. Mm -hmm. There's very low property taxes, which anybody who does the math will realize that's a big bite. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think when we were uh, speaking to a couple different networks, uh, one of the presenters was uh, mentioning that Alabama had, at that point, uh, which would have been last year, we were talking about Alabama having the second lowest property taxes in the nation. I think it's behind Hawaii. Yeah. And uh, I believe that that's still true or close to that mm -hmm. second place. And... Um, that, that's really key. When you're doing an analysis on what takes money from you as a landlord, that's a mostly uncontrollable expense. You can have good years and bad years in you know collecting rents and in different things, but property taxes will always be taken. Yeah. And um, what they are is what they are. Another big difference is that in Florida we have windstorm insurance, yeah. hurricanes, and insurance is very reasonable here. So I, I ended up selecting Alabama. Yeah. as the market to go into, at least initially. Okay. Well, that insurance piece, interesting enough, we'll have an episode releasing soon with Birmingham Insurance Group, our internal it, they probably sister company. Yeah. We're, we're recording. Yeah, that's true. That's before true. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. We're recording before <laughs> the episode that you've already heard has aired. That's right. That's right. So um, so my apologies for that. But uh, You've already heard the insurance you, portion. You've, but you've heard the insurance. So we'll, we'll actually. We'll reiterate again. We will. We'll, we'll dial on, on your memory and uh, we'll talk about. Go back. A little bit. So we were talking a little earlier about the master policy, uh, and uh, and I know you guys, uh, in in your operation, Chris, you've actually uh, utilized that product, and you were talking about some of the savings you realized. You know, we talked about it before, and just the impact that that has if you have a portfolio, mm -hmm. uh, and being able to wrap it all under one umbrella for the investor that's got properties in multiple locations. So mm -hmm. I think that's a, a key point to hit on and discuss today. So so it's it's so. You're, you're, we're right now in your story. We are, we've just found Alabama. All right. So you've looked at what are, what are the markets in Alabama? I mean, I know what they are, but, but everybody listening might not know, but you basically got your big, your big city markets would probably be Huntsville, Birmingham, Montgomery, and Mobile. Mm -hmm. So the properties that you own are in Montgomery and Birmingham. Correct. Okay. So what, what made you, what made you dial into those markets as opposed to Decatur or Mobile, for that matter? Well, Mobile I looked at as a little bit too similar to Florida in terms of being on the water and having that windstorm risk. Okay. Yeah, and I'll echo that as well because we have property there, and that's the biggest thing. Insurance rates are four times higher than they are Central Alabama or no, yeah. North Alabama. So in my decision to look at where am I going to own a house? I go through a process and it starts with picking the market. Mm -hmm. And right behind the market is looking at the property management. It's not time to look at a house until you, you go through you know, the first dominoes. Okay. So the numbers for returns looked great for the state. What's next? Uh, I went to Montgomery, I went to Birmingham, and I went to Huntsville, and I looked at houses and I met property managers there. 
And the reason at that time, a couple of years ago, I didn't go forward in Huntsville is only because I didn't think that there were a lot of property management companies there. I thought if two or three go out of business, it could be tough. Yeah. A lot of people are doing great. I'm not negative on Huntsville. It just isn't a market that I developed. I didn't build a network there. Sure. Um, however, in Montgomery and in Birmingham, I started meeting people and growing relationships, and I found that I could get some good deals there. And uh, that, that's really why I developed in those two towns. Today, I'm 100% in Birmingham because mm -hmm. of where it is as far as Again, the property management, the number of homes available, the types of neighborhoods, and the supply-demand ratio right now. Don't mean to toot our own horns, but we are his property managers, guys. Just just for the listening audience. Little little beep-beep. Anyways, beep. yeah. <laughs> um, so when you got into Birmingham, I, we have helped you you know, look at properties. We, we, we manage your properties. The risk that you've taken with about the, the buy and holds the properties that you have over there what made you decide that those were going to be the ones that you were going to hold versus the ones that you have um for sale yeah as a turnkey and maybe before we get to that exact question is okay. maybe we go into what your strategies deployed are currently Absolutely. so we can kind of define those for the listeners sure, sure. well let, let me take a half step back what i did in 2017 was i reallocated my equity from florida to alabama okay. and the first thing I did was I took a townhouse that you know I owned that had run up in appreciation, but the rents were not strong. That was being properly, uh, I'm sorry, professionally managed. But I went through four tenants in four years, only because I'm in a very transitional area. It was an A class. I would have people who would move in and then go buy their own house. Right. Or you know there was always great reasons for yeah. people to leave, not problems. But it was still four turnovers in four years. So in four years of owning that as a rental, I had lost $3,000 each year. <laughs> I took the $72,000 in equity that I had, and I 1031'd that into three down payments in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. Came to Birmingham with it, and I bought three turnkey properties from a turnkey provider here. Mm -hmm. And those turnkey properties each cash flowed $3,000 each. So I had a net change of $12,000 without having to reach into my pocket and take my wallet out. So that, that was when I became sold on the whole concept of turnkey houses, live where you want to live, mm -hmm. invest where it makes sense. Um, I went through a process that's probably worth talking about. Absolutely. Which is buying a house that's already been rehabbed at full price, at top of the market price, and getting comfortable with the notion of doing that. That was something I really wrestled with hard. Okay. And you know, if you've got listeners who were you know, thinking, do I want to buy turnkey or don't I? It, it's something that a lot of people deal with. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, we're always taught buy low, sell high. Sure. And if you buy a house from a turnkey provider, and let's say that it's a $100,000 house, and you start looking at, well, what if similar houses sold for, and you might see some in the 60s, you're wondering, why are they charging me too much? And you might look up, what did that provider pay for? And they mm -hmm. might have paid 30. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, they paid 30 and they're selling it to, and, and it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And and it's a struggle. If you go on a lot of, you know, popular sites like Bigger Pockets, a lot of times they'll beat up on the idea of turnkey because you're not adding value. Investors add value. Mm -hmm. So I wrestled <clears throat> with that. And I, I finally came to a point where I realized I just went from losing 3,000 a year yeah. to earning thousand a year yeah that can't be wrong 
Sure. And I was working at a very consuming job. I was working a good 60 hours a week. I worked in a corporation for over 10 years. Um, ironically, I was managing construction projects out of my city and doing design, <laughs> mostly retail, tenant improvement, you know, business development. I'm a certified project manager. So I know a little bit about how to juggle and how to plan and follow you know, checklists and execute things. But I still wasn't willing to try to buy a discounted property and rehab it myself. Yeah. Not knowing the people on the ground. In, in this business, what you know is a very small percentage of your success. It's all about who you know, mm -hmm. meeting people and making the relationships. That's what makes a person successful. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I didn't have those relationships in Birmingham. So I was willing to come in and pay top of the market prices. The math made sense. The houses worked. I picked them carefully. I, I did not use the pro formas I was given. I sure. worked my numbers by myself. And all four of those houses have performed. All four of them renewed. Three of them just renewed a second time. Mm -hmm. So um, it, those were great investments for me. And one of the analogies I think about a lot, it's, and I've used this with people who debate against buying a turnkey yeah. property, is I'll ask them, have you ever eaten in a restaurant? <laughs> How about a nice restaurant? Was it worth it? Did you go to another restaurant after that? So you must have thought the experience was good. How can you do that when food is so much cheaper in a grocery store? You could have brought those groceries home and cooked that same meal pretty close to the same quality for probably a fourth of the price. Right. What are you paying for? Well, you're paying for a service. You're paying for a convenience. You're paying somebody to do things for you. And in this environment is to take the risk, to perform the services, to use their local resources and local skills. and. You know, just like you would. Yeah, we see the same thing in our business for people that want to try to self-manage to mm -hmm. save a save a dollar, oh, or go with a low-cost provider that low rates, uh, various selection of services, kind of all a cart. You know, we see that quite a bit. But you know, a lot of a lot of people actually embrace the idea of of pay fair value. Uh, what whatever you determine that to be fair value for services. So I I totally get where you're coming from. I think if it makes sense to you, uh, especially your analogy of uh, the numbers make sense. Do you have to benefit from every aspect of every dime of profit? Well, I along think the way? I think it kind of goes along with not everybody can be an expert at everything. At all things, right? Absolutely. I mean, I I I'm not an expert in everything that comes to real estate. There's too many moving parts. Mm -hmm. Brian, you aren't. Chris, you mm -hmm. aren't. I mean, there, there's too many moving parts in owning property for profit or to make any money or in, in, in any way. And to Chris's point, I think it's, it's, it's important to build your local team. Absolutely. Because I've, I've watched investment networks or investors themselves try to operate multiple markets with a template okay. uh, doesn't always work. You've seen it with me. I mean, there I are times when, you know, it may work in a, in a market that they're overseeing. Uh, we spoke to a client not long ago that actually, uh, he's a client of ours, but he's, you know, he's tightly managing the market he's in. And it's trying also to save a dollar where he can save a dollar. Uh, so therefore, maybe not selecting the best providers of, mm -hmm. uh, for construction, turn, uh, a number of different uh, services, but at the same time. So he's not getting the same exact returns in the markets that are away from him than those that he's you know involved in on a daily yeah. basis. One of the things that, and I, I, I feel this, this is more anecdotally, but, but it's something that I've heard a lot 
is when I'm talking with people that, that own properties or manage properties in, in a bunch of different markets, they'll take the lowest number that they can for each one of these services from all of these different markets and right. kind of squinch them together. I'm looking for this much to, you know, for my property management fee. I'm looking for these percentages and rates for my, my construction. I'm looking for these kind of, you know, returns with, from, with my tenants. And they're, they're just kind of smushing them all together and that's not how it works. I mean, that, that might not work in each and every market. You gotta, it's okay to have your parameters, but you have to be flexible yeah. with your parameters in each market. If you don't have um, a great contractor in one, or if you don't have a great property manager in another, or if one market has more supply and less demand, you're, you're going to approach everything differently. Right. So, you know, I mean, I have parameters on what I want, but they're not going to be the same for every neighborhood or the same for every So city. I'd like to touch on one thing, if we could kind of pause for a minute and, and talk about, you, you mentioned uh, looking at the performer that was giving you versus formulating your own performer. So if we could spend a second there and just kind of dive into that, because different turnkey providers, you'll get different performers. Uh, I've seen turnkey providers that actually, you know, we've talked about rent market analysis and, and conducting those and determining what what fair rental value is. Something interesting, as we were looking on the site the other day, so you had market market rent, and then you had current rent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's below, and sometimes it's above. But I've seen those turnkey providers in some cases to where they'll hold out for top top of market rents when it's really not a either a top of market product or it's in a an area that's uh, not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. So meaning that if you're on a street that's within transition within a neighborhood, you know, you, you look down that street and you've got one or two rehabs and everything else needs to be rehabbed versus some of the neighborhoods that we've referred to in the past where 80% of the properties on the same street are rehabbed. Mm-hmm. So showing that it's well into renovation phases yeah. and improvement. So I think that, you know, if we could touch base on that for a minute and, and what your experience was when you came into the market with turnkey providers providing you performa versus what you were finding on your own. The first ones I found, the rents looked very high. My impression was that they were setting the price based on their projected rents. Okay. And that's not how you're supposed to set prices on rental pro- on yeah. residential properties. Residential properties are priced based on comps. Mm-hmm. Commercial properties are priced based on NOI yeah. or, or income. So whenever I see an automatic 1%, I'm immediately suspicious. Um, like especially when it hits it like right on the nose. It's like, yeah, it's a little it's bit like, fishy. You know, you, you came up with a rental number, you multiplied it by 100, and yeah. that's your sales price. So there you go. when I started seeing that, um, I began calling different property managers sure. and saying, I'm looking at a house in this area. What will that rent for? Mm-hmm. And giving them vague descriptions in vague areas and trying to get a feel for I remember what some of those calls, bud. Yeah, <laughs> we have those calls off. We, we still do, absolutely. So whenever we're looking at a house, I, I want to get a very, very clear picture of if it's an average condition house, what will it rent for? Mm-hmm. If it's in a brand new rehab condition, what will it rent for? And whenever there's a range and I'm looking at my pro forma for my long-term hold, I'm using a lower number. Yeah, and you know, that's, it's a that's safer number to look for. Anybody that's looking to buy in... Well, you I always have like to, to look refer at that. to it loosely as you're still leaving some meat on the bone for the next person, Absolutely. you know, and that's, I know in, in our, our strategy early on, so we were focused on A-class properties and, and buying those for corporate lease backs. Uh, we talked a little bit about that today earlier outside the podcast, but, but part of that focus was a seven-year hold strategy for us. 
So that strategy consists of leaving a little meat on the bone for the next person in equity and systems lifespans. So there are a number of different things. And then, you know, when we started buying 0102, 07, 08 occurred. So we had to reset some clocks and timelines and invest in some new systems and, and upgrades to property. So we just reset it uh, and move forward for, for term number two. Sure. Um, but I think that's an important thing to talk about for, for our listeners. That's okay to buy something. L- look at them and, and if they have meat left on the bone with those systems. There's yeah. there's more than just a rental price or a rehab. Well, that's part ability. of your due diligence. So, so, but it's, I just like what Chris was saying earlier, it's okay to buy one that's, that's done and they, they've already turned turned the property into a finished product so and i guess back okay to your to back that. to your experience with your turnkey providers were they providing you um, a warranty with their with their product their finished product or a guarantee in any way yeah well some will and some won't mm-hmm. warranties are usually on the work that they've done that they've included in the scope right. and it's up to a year and you know the manufacturer's warranty comes first but if there's something else then they'll pull up a subcontractor Sure. Um, some of them will offer you a guarantee to cover your mortgage payments until it's been leased up, mm-hmm. and that's great. I've bought the houses that I bought in Montgomery, I actually did not buy from a turnkey provider. I bought them through a property manager who plugged me in when his other owner investors wanted to sell a house. And a few of those I was actually able to get some work done on a house and have that done before closing. So I'll give you an example. Um, one house that he brought to me, he says, well, look, it's it's about a $70,000 house and they want 62000 in it. And I've been managing it with the same tenants for three years and they pay on time every year. And I said, okay, great. And I looked on the tax assessor site and it's assessed at $72,000 and I said, I'll give him what he wants. He can have the sixty-two. <laughs> and then when my inspection came back, I found out that it needed a new roof, new HVAC system and a new water heater. And I went back to the property manager and I said, how much would it cost to put those three things on with your subs, with your repairs? And he got it all priced out, and it was $10,000. Mm-hmm. We're obviously not in California here, yeah. Florida. <laughs> so I said, great, I'll raise the price to $72,000. Have the owner go ahead and do these things. I don't know if he'll pay for them up front or if he'll float them, but I want to get that into my purchase price so that they're basically wrapped up in my 30-year mortgage. Sure. So effectively... My cost was 20% of that, my down payment. I didn't have to spend 10000 more out of pocket after I bought it. Right. So we changed the purchase price to $72,000. The property manager had the work done, paid the subs the day we closed. Oh, made your tenant happy too. So. My tenant was happy. Yeah. And then it appraised for seventy-five. Nice. Wow. Nice. So I, I was... That's a win-win for everybody. It's a semi-rehab yeah. done by yeah. a property manager. So that's, you have to be a little bit creative. I bought other houses through that same property manager from their investors that needed a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the point to the pro forma, which was your last question, Brian, mm-hmm. you have to go through that pro forma and project as accurately as you can. Right. And I bought a house from another owner that had a little bit older roof and had a little bit older HVAC. I'm going to allocate more money into maintenance reserve right. than when I buy a house that's just been rehabbed. Well, I think that's the uh, the beauty of, you know, if somebody's getting started and they're not thinking along those lines, we always endorse the, the maintenance reserve, setting that reserve aside, whether we're holding it or you're holding it your, yourself, uh, just allocating that because the day is going to come. You're going to have to do the repair. And back to your example, if 
if that were not a tenanted property you were purchasing. And what I liked about it, and it just popped into my head as you were giving an example, if you're having that done prior to your taking possession with closing and this property is going to go back on the market to procure another tenant through your property management partner, then that's going to cut down on the number of down days oh. to have the repairs done because you're, it's back on the owner or the seller mm-hmm. uh, at that point. So it's not, it's not starting on your, on your timeline. So that's, right. that's a valuable point. And two years later, those same tenants are there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know. Well, and it, it really sets it up because we have a number of ownership changes in our in our line of work and in our yeah, client base. That uh, you know, because we have some some people that sell investor to investor, and and the biggest hurdle with that, uh, with a tenanted property, based on that experience, is. We, we communicate clearly with them, but there's always that question, what's going on? Yeah. We don't know the new owner. We were kind of comfortable with you guys and the old owner. Well, the good news is we're continuing on. Mm-hmm. But doing something like that, Chris, with a new roof, new HVAC, you know, new water heater, those type things speak volumes to the, the tenant that's intact and, and gives them a, a sense of security sure. with the new ownership. And, and it kind of sends that message, I'm going to take care of the property. So they're back to our setting the expectation level for the tenant episode. You know, it, it, I don't it's, know it's right. beneficial. It's been before this one or not. <laughs> it definitely was. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, I think it, that's another piece that you have to look at when, and you can't look at that before you have a tenant as far as when you're talking about your most important things into an area is your property manager and your general contractor. I don't know if we've actually said that yet on this episode, but you and I have talked about that. Numerous times, Those, Chris. Whether you're rehabbing or buying turnkey. Absolutely. If you're a rehabber and you're holding your properties, the two people that will make you the most money and save you the most money yeah. are your property manager and your contractor. Yeah, and if they're not done correctly, they can cost you the most money. And I wasn't just saying that for commercial purposes, no, he, which, and, which ends up being that. Well, Chris brought it up earlier. Yeah. So, um, Well, I wanted to say that the other next and most important part is your tenants. Yes. A tenant, if you can keep your tenant happy... By little things. And, it, and it's just little things over the life of you owning the property and then being in it. The more comfortable they are with you knowing that things are being handled, maintenance that needs to be done is being done, the more likely they are to stay in there longer and they're not going to balk at you when, you know, your lease renewal comes up and they want to, you want to bump it to the current market values and things like that. It just helps. Absolutely. This is circular because yeah. the way to keep your tenants happy is through proper property management. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, property management, you're not managing a structure, you're managing people. Yeah, you're managing the relationships. Managers. Yeah, right. we are. And that's the hardest job in real estate is managing tenants. So to me, it's the screening, it's setting the expectations. You know, I want these tenants to let us know when there's problems. When somebody says, hey, I've got a house and they've never called with any complaints, I'm concerned. Well, What's happening in that yeah, house? Yeah, and back to, your, back to your point. So the tenant being the third piece yeah. of the puzzle. So I would add, you know, you just touched upon it lightly, Chris, but the, the screening process. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I unfortunately I've seen people within our industry that – you know, you put a, what's, what's your pulse score? We, we kind of talked about that. And then back to uh, if something. You don't know what that means. If you have a pulse, <laughs> yeah. you have qualified yeah. for your pulse it's score. Not, not based on any other criteria other than income and pulse score. <laughs> so putting that person in, it's a higher risk applicant. And then not basically sharing that screening process with your investor owner. So that tenant relationship can go horribly wrong. And can cost you profits plus, right? So back to your your net loss scenario. Well, that, your turn costs those happen 
due to tenants. Right. And back to Chris's point, that's all circular. So if yeah, you put a bad tenant all. in, your turn costs are higher. Mm-hmm. They're not taking care of the property. They're not paying the rent. You're having to evict them. I mean, the scenario can go bad quickly. Mm-hmm. So I've always said in our industry, the most important piece in the tenant equation is the screening process. Yeah. And you know, talk a little bit about our numbers, just and it not again, not just as an advertisement for us, but just for like example purposes. How many people guest cards that we have versus how many applications we have versus how many applications we yeah. Have. So last month, so I just did we this, may have actually spoken about this. In we we did, but it's probably a, a prior prior month. Uh, we I just submitted the results for this one. We had two hundred nineteen applications across mm-hmm. the platform. And we had 29 move-ins. Okay. And, see, and, so, and that's that's wise because we yeah. want to get a tenant that is going to last. And is yes. Going to now, now, we'll say we, tenants op- perform. we currently operate on a pre-screening, pre-application basis. So there's a heavy submission just to see the property. We actually allow that application to be valid for 60 days and across any property within our portfolio that's available. Mm-hmm. So not everybody operates that way. That is something we did to cut down on the waste to the waste of time with unqualified applicants. Mm-hmm. It's just like going to a sales agent with a pre-approval letter. Yeah, uh, You're not wasting people's time. So wasting our time equates to wasting owner time and ultimately wasting applicant time. So that's time you can't get back. If we drive you around all day and you don't qualify, you don't meet any of our criteria, that's a waste of everyone's time. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody knows time is time is money. So so that that piece of it is vitally important. Those metrics, and we're, we're going to be actually uh, evolving to a self-show model this year uh, in our marketplaces. I have not taken that lightly. I've gone into that with uh, a lot of understanding from other property managers within NARPM. And just getting that feedback as well. So uh, what that does to me from a property management standpoint, it opens up showing on another person's schedule at any given point. And you can regulate what hours, but it opens it up to seven days a week, holidays, after hours showings up to whatever point, uh, and an accountability piece. Because they're actually having to do a preliminary qualification and collection of their information. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's been out there for a number of years now, and uh, a lot of people are doing it. So it it actually makes makes sense. Uh, it just leads to fewer days on market. And, yeah, and the benefits. I mean, I've gone through managing my own properties where you know I'm place. Tell you how long ago placing ads in the newspaper. Uh, we used to spend a lot of money on newspaper ads. <laughs> showing the houses and um, you know screening the people. I remember asking people to go get their own credit report and let me look at it. That's how I would get credit reports. You know, I, I did it myself and I didn't know how. But now, I mean, that that's one of the invaluable things is I know that. Now, I've worked with property managers who don't let me look at who they signed the lease with until it's signed. I don't know yeah. who they've approved. They sign the lease and they send it over. And that's protecting you. That's yeah. what. And, and exactly. That's and fair there's others who sure. come to me and say, here's three applications, pick one. Right. And you know, then I get a little bit more involvement. And I use both models and I like them all. But the benefit is I don't have any applicants in front of me who have not already been qualified. So what's a really important step that's a lot of work for you goes without saying for me as the owner. Yeah, right. it, that's right. I, I don't even want to think about that. I just, <laughs> you're, you're only going to bring qualified applicants. Well, and the thing is with our, so uh, which we'll talk to Joe on an episode, but I, oh, I love, because uh, Joe's so good at this, but just summarizing an applicant, once they go through our processes, 
they've come across a qualifying broker's desk and the qualifying broker says, okay, stamp good, send it to the owner for final mm-hmm. approval. So the thing is, back to Chris's point, it's not, you don't send the applications and, and credit reports and all that. You're sending a summary of our findings and our, what we've identified as red flag warnings or pitfalls mm-hmm. um, because we're viewing it from a risk management standpoint. So it's a bad risk for you. It's also a bad risk for the manager. So we don't want to have the hassle of evictions and all those underperforming. It costs everybody money and time. That's right. It does. It does. Everyone involved. Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our sister companies, the Birmingham Insurance Group. We all know to maximize cash flow and ROI, investors and property managers need an insurance broker who knows their business. Birmingham Insurance Group, aka Big, does just that. They specialize in the single family residential rental market with customized products that really check all the boxes and they're at affordable rates. They have 24 seven online access where you can pay your bill, add or remove properties, issue certificates, and best of all, everything is on your schedule. Don't worry, they do business in all 50 states, so reach out to Richard Davis and the team to see what Big can do for you. Call them today at 205-616-1107 or online at bhaminsgroup.com. So, you know, to once you get through that applicant and they're qualified and they go in, what I was trying to touch on is then as you start that relationship, you know, I want that tenant to feel good about that house. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel good about the relationship with the property. Manager. Live there versus stay there. Yeah. So. I want them to feel like when there's a problem, they can tell you and you are receptive of that and you're going to jump right on that and resolve it. You also have to be realistic and not over repair and you know, right. deal with managing people's expectations. And sometimes if they see an ant on the floor, you're not going to have a rush two hour extermination. And right. if they can see a little crack of light under the door, you're not going to be running out with weather stripping that mm-hmm. minute. But you know, you set the expectations. But by and large, I want people happy. I want them to renew. I want them to be willing to accept, you know. Ten or twenty or thirty dollar bump each year, mm-hmm. and and basically continue that relationship. I want people to stay as long as possible. You're only making money when rent's being paid. I'm only yeah. making money when rent's being paid, and that relationship is all between you and the tenant. They don't know my name, yeah, or phone number. <laughs> I'm smiling right now. Yeah, and I don't want them to. That means that I'm really relying on you to do to to have that. To do the business and to build that comfort and that desire to stay and feel like they really do live there. Yeah, tenant retention is that's a big piece, and we've talked about it in the past. A large piece of that ties directly back to maintenance and whether it's being handled. And back to the point of making improvements on the property is one of the things that we do is we try to identify. Well, that's your expectation. Maintenance, right? That's that's part of that. That is. That's exactly right. That's Um, your third. That's back to our circular. Mm-hmm. model that we're talking Absolutely. about that's that goes back to the other most important part it's your general contractor making sure that that's somebody that's putting out a a quality product that you stand behind and say this is this is what i provide yeah and it doesn't mean the lowest price vendor it doesn't you know we could hate to open a can of worms so we get into home warranties and why they don't work in property management but that's that's one are we going to have a whole episode we are but that's a key component of our complaints on them of their business model is hiring the lowest cost contractors and uh, and ultimately costing tenants to landlords. I mean, I could give you 
dozens of examples of that occurring over the years to the point where we say no more home warranties. Because <laughs> um, they're, they're Did any of your properties that you purchased have a home warranty on them, Chris? I've had window warranties that transferred, <laughs> yeah. but not okay. home warranties. Yeah, and, and ultimately it goes back to protecting the owner. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like a good idea at the time, but for your well, 486 or so $500 worth of value, it's, it's cost, warranty, it's cost right? you a lot it of money. Sounds, it sounds, well, of course, I need a, hor- yeah. a warranty on this home. And I, it, the, the words sound like you need to have it. Yeah. So the other piece before we move on is, is uh, and I don't know that, uh, Chris, if you've experienced this before, but I've seen it several times where owner uh, sells to tenant. Um, Lease purchase? No, just a straight up purchase. Okay. Um, we've actually got one going on right now. It always amazes me because the tenants focus on what needs to be done to the property. And uh, if you're if you don't structure the deal correctly, uh, there's an increase in work orders issued mm-hmm. uh, by the tenant, and you know exactly where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Everything <laughs> on their wish list to get accomplished before the sales transaction takes place. So early on, there was a little curve, learning curve to go with that. But once once you go through one of those and you realize what it is, and then you build contingencies within the contract to protect yourself, because you can have an owner that does everything right, but still the wish list of why do you have a home inspection? It's it's to identify things that can give you uh, a better position, whether it's you know monetary or uh, it, it's always wrapped around the deal. And, and, and thanks to give us heartburn. That's right. And to tell you how to set up your pro forma. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you want to come up with that model that shows a good rental number, it shows good reserves for vacancy, for maintenance and repairs, for capital improvements, if you're going to have that. Mm-hmm. You, you want your numbers to be as close as you can to possible. One of the things that I do, and we haven't gotten there yet, when I'm presenting a property that I've rehabbed to a potential turnkey buyer, is I will show this is what last year's property tax was. Next year's property tax, if you wanted an LLC, could be triple that. Yeah. So which one do you want to put on that pro forma? What the homestead owner who had the house for 30 years was paying? Mm-hmm. I, I, I bought one house in Center Point that property taxes were $350 the year before I bought it. And they were $1,200. Oh, so it was an increase plus the double form. That's about a third of the projected profit of that pro forma. So you want to be safe and conservative. Not every city is like that one. Sure. Right. But sometimes you can get an unincorporated one next to the city. Well, Jonathan and I, one of your first visits with me on property with an owner, they had purchased a property in Hoover. So. Mm, yeah, it just you know they they purchased it for rental and it really it, it lacked due diligence. Everything, yeah, every part of that transaction, and and Brian can just start this story and nobody has to be talking about it or saying anything. And the moment that I hear what got us to that, I mean, Brian the, the, the first story, red flag exactly that went up was the here. the property tax and just bringing it to their attention that their yeah. property tax going from homestead to non homestead would automatically double. At minimum, so plus any increases such as you experienced, mm-hmm. plus the new sales price. Right. That's right. Yeah. The new sales price is an immediate hit. And well, then it's and then I remember, I remember the days. Uh, it's been a long time ago, but I remember Hoover bringing something before the city council to be approved to actually uh, then turn around and charge the absentee owner for trash and recycle service in addition, which is included in Homestead. 
that's one of the things that's included within the city of Hoover. Each okay. municipality is a little different in that respect. But, okay. but then it's like, well, you're going to penalize the person for owning the property by charging them twice the tax basis and then add an insult to injury and, and charge them for trash service and recycle service. So Ooh. just stuff to be mindful of. And then there's a rental tax on top of that uh, for that municipality. So th- that that goes back to your local partners and knowledge within the local markets. I was about to I was about to say how how with all of these fees here, a little bit here there, mm-hmm. and taxes there and there, and everything else. How how are we making lot, money? On, well, a lot on of it was driven this? when when the economy tanked a bit. Um, municipalities had to come up with revenue streams, and yep. there were a lot of, and there still are, even in this market. There were a lot of municipalities that charge licenses. They charge percentage of, of rent collected. Uh, variations or combinations of those two things. Um, and then some of them that you wouldn't expect whatsoever, you know, they just charge crazy, crazy tax. We, we were talking the other day um, because we've had experience with this, unfortunately, but small municipality that's struggling and property is vacant. If it's vacant for, uh, if it's vacant for any period of time, the utilities disconnected, they oh, require a reinspect. Clear. Well, the inspection is $400. Ooh. And once you've gone through the inspection, to get final inspection to be able to market it, you pay an additional $50 plus a registration fee each year for each property. Which so, is that? That would be Tarrant. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and i'm like you know the the thing is uh, throwing a whole city the municipality is struggling and in my opinion they're running business away by yeah they're they're trying to get money by by snatching dollars from everybody that's staying in there and the community which is yeah and it's pushing everyone pushing everyone away from buying into it that hurts. See, this is, oh. you know, talking to people who want to invest in yeah. all. this is the benefit of knowing you. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't know that. I've seen houses in Tarrant and thought, oh, those look good. I'm those numbers look right. Yeah. This is why, you know, you know, and what I'm doing today is I'm, I'm now in this full time. Yeah. I'm buying houses. I'm rehabbing them with a general contractor. I'm keeping some and I'm selling some mm-hmm. and I'm pointing as many people as I can to HI because that's where I have my properties sure. managed. But I still do not call myself an expert in the Birmingham metro area. Sure. So I rely very, very heavily, heavily on a variety of people to get this kind of information. Right. That's right. And you know that that's one of the questions you asked me: is How do you know? How do you avoid all these pitfalls? Mm-hmm. I mean, are we scaring people away right now? Yeah. About these things? <laughs> yeah. How do we make money with all these taxes well, and know, fees? Hoover check. You know, yeah. Terrence check. You know, I, I can tell you other bad stories about other cities, and you can do the same. Yeah. yeah. The answer is you talk to different people on the ground and you you learn. You don't buy houses from websites that look good. You don't assume that just because it's on a turnkey provider's website, even if a popular podcast reseller has it on their website, it doesn't mean it's automatically a good deal. Correct. That's right. You have to cross-check that with other people that you trust, that you build relationships with. Yeah, and the other, the uh, one of the other practices that I... It's all about polygons, man. It's all about polygon. I knew you were going to throw a polygon in there somewhere. Talk about a pet. So, talk about a pet, Brian. Well, I don't want to talk about a pet, but I do want to talk about. <laughs> I do want to talk about the point that back to back to what Chris was alluding to is that you have to do your own due diligence mm-hmm. uh, because what's being presented to you, you know, you don't know what scale that's been done on, and does it benefit you or does it benefit the seller? 
Um, so that's the important thing to focus on. But one of, one of the things that I see commonly, uh, which kind of blows my mind a little bit, is when people are buying property and they rely on the seller to provide the home inspection piece. Oh, yeah. Uh, so even for me personally, if I'm buying a property, even if it's provided to me, I'm doing my own home inspection. Uh, so I know exactly what's going on, and I don't have that potential conflict of interest. When I bought my first three turnkey properties, the provider offered to refer me to an inspection company, mm-hmm. and I said no thanks. Yeah. No thank you. And I do you want my opinion on how how nice my property is? It's nice. Yeah. Well, and, I, and honestly, I, I I'm great friends with a local home inspector here that I've known for 15 years. Does a tremendous job. I use him for all of my purchases. Anywhere really in the northern half of the state, he'll mm-hmm. he'll travel for me. But the the point is, is that when he comes into uh, if, if we use a seventeen hundred square foot three bedroom two bath, he's in the property for three and a half to four hours. And I have seen some of these guys these with the turnkey so providers that have been in and out of the property in forty five minutes. And obviously, there's a distinct difference in, in sure. the level of, of checks that were done. Um, so just caution you to do your due diligence, understand what you're purchasing. Uh, don't overanalyze it per se, because if you do that, you can cripple yourself and, and miss the deal. Sure. Uh, we've seen and heard about that quite a bit. I mean, I've done that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I have too, but yeah. I, you know, I, I'm always under the understanding if I pause a moment too long for me, there's usually a gut reaction as to why I did that and yeah. I find the next one. So, you know, that's kind of the way to focus on it. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the due diligence portion. Like I don't, I don't know another way to just say you have to find a relationship with a, I mean, property manager is just an easy thing to say out there just for whatever market you're in. But, but somebody local that, that knows that area and knows why a market is doing what it's doing, whether it's trending upward uh, staying stagnant right. or, or trending down because because you can take a snapshot of any market that you want to and kind of manipulate some numbers around to make it seem performa positive. Yay, look at this. Six yeah, we did a great piece on episode five um, yeah. where we talked with, uh, with Jen and Deb mm-hmm. and we talked about ways to find those property management mm. providers, uh, the quality managers and what I consider best in class operators. So sure. that's one piece of it. But I would, you know, going back uh, to Chris, to your point with your provider um, in regard to the uh, contractor, I mean, we have seen the work firsthand. We've met the contractor, great guy, great product, provides great oversight. So there's the other piece as well, is that you have an independent analysis of the product. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're building those relationships. And I, I found it pretty interesting, Chris. I think that was, what was that, your second? You looked at the market. Um, then you looked at local relationships. Well, I think PM was second, and local relationships was number three on your list. Correct. Um, in, in importance. But that is back to that piece. It's all about the relationship build, the local expertise. Even mm-hmm. if you're doing something through a national provider, that local piece is ultimately the important. It's The first step is picking the market. The second step is the property manager. And the third step chronologically is those local relationships. But I would call that the first in importance. Yes. Because once the market's selected and you've got a property manager or maybe two, 
now it's all about relationships. Yeah, it, yeah. it still hasn't brought you to the point of pulling the trigger on the deal either. So the local relationship right. piece is going to provide you the information that right. finally pushes you over the edge to pull the trigger on the deal. You, you call a realtor or two, or you know, you maybe call somebody from a Facebook investment group. You talk right. to a few people, and you, you don't take a hundred percent of what any one person says. Right. Two experts will tell you two different Absolutely. things. That's exactly right. So you, you have to say, look, what do you think about this area? And I just talked to another person who says this. What do you think about that idea? Yeah. And, and just kind of put your picture together little by little until you feel comfortable and say, all right, well, I got an idea now of which neighborhoods I'd like to buy in, okay. which towns I'd like to buy in. Now I'm going to start looking at properties. What? That, that really comes later. You know, one piece before you get going Go there. Um, so the... Uh, Something that happened in our business business life uh, several years ago, and this actually happened before the, the market collapse. And so we had a group of investors that were purchasing from the West Coast, and they were buying in the Alabama market due to okay. Hurricane Katrina. Okay. And there was a tax incentive put in place. Mm -hmm. And part of that, uh, part of the way that they conducted themselves in their business and within the network of purchasers was they actually had them purchase the property prior to contacting the property manager. So it put us in a, uh, a very sticky place because by the time it got to us, their market analysis was based on local sales agents that were selling the property. So they were asking the sales agent selling the home what the rent market was, what, what, what were current rates. So Chris is shaking his head. Jonathan's looking, smiling, you know. Uh, well, so we your, all know where it goes. So, there, so the danger was, bad? the danger was in this case scenario. You're going to get a commission when they sell you that that's, house. That's correct. And I remember specifically in the mobile market, because we had 75 properties coming online with the same investment group. Every one of them was the same scenario. The realtor in each case had overshot the rents by 250 to $300 to California-based investors who had no local knowledge of the marketplace. But to them... It sounded like a really good deal. It was really good, too good to be true. So then when the, the ink dries on the PMA with the property management company, all of a sudden it's like, what do you mean I can't get $1,500 a month for this property? Yeah. And I can only get $1,250. Uh, that's, that's not going to work. Well, unfortunately, it's going to have to work at this point. You own the property and, you know, and, and then the position of this particular investment group was that they would pull equity out of that purchase and immediately move on to the next purchase. And it was all based on, the tax incentive was based on new new construction, 50% mm -hmm. depreciation in year one. So there's a strong attraction to those markets, right? Um, and then building upon that. But, but that piece, I, I just can't say enough about that because I've always, since that day, have always said, when an investor buys a property, they need to come to the property manager who's going to give them the market analysis. That's that's true. Yeah, because we're going to have to go out there and tell a tenant. Manage that tenant. Yeah. You're going to find the tenant. You're going to manage the tenant. And I'm looking to you to get that released yeah. in a year. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times I've seen turnkeys where they'll list them and they'll have a pretty high price and what looks like a pretty high rental rate. And, you know, some people will be correct to say, well, we, we rehabbed it better than the other houses in that neighborhood so when a tenant looks at it they're willing to pay a little bit more and and there can be some truth in that it can happen however if a tenant goes in and pays nine hundred dollars a month in an eight hundred dollar neighborhood what's going to happen when it gets a little tight a, a lot of those tenants i'll tell you a lot of those tenants instead of paying nine hundred dollars 
they'll go a few blocks down to the better school district. Yeah. Or they'll go across town and pay 900 or 950 for a much better neighborhood. Yeah, you might get it for 900 but it'll take longer, and you won't renew as often, especially when they're seeing what their neighbors are paying and yeah. everybody else is paying. So I don't want to... Well, then those nice, shiny new fixtures get dingy after a while after they... Well, and the other piece of that is they may not wait until the lease expires to make that move. That's a dangerous so, And be careful is. when they're already tenanted. Yeah. It, it sounds great to buy a house that's already been tenanted, but mm-hmm. you don't know if that turnkey provider gave them the first month free to get yeah. them in there right. at that rate. That's, and that's kind of why, you know, we talked about Roofstock and what they do is putting that ledger available to the investor that's to see so to see the history. The hist- I mean, you see the date they received, the initial charges. You're seeing exactly what's going on with the property and the tenant performance. That's just like a commercial. You have to go through that rent roll and and understand everything. Look at those existing tenants from scratch like you were screening them as a new movement. Absolutely. And that kind of brings me to basically uh, giving you your own personal commercial here, Chris. But but basically, that's what, when you and I talk about your properties, when you're selling a property to a tenant, I love your attitude on what you will sell to someone. Can you can I can you explain your golden rule philosophy on what you do? And you know, honestly, sure. it's just a, a little bit of why you know finding a a turnkey provider, someone that is like you, what you provide, is so important to someone that is buying a turnkey product. So. We probably should back up a half a step sure. because I was still working at the corporate job. Oh, sure. Totally. So <laughs> the company that I worked for um, did very, very well until it didn't. Mm-hmm. And last summer of 2018, as the senior employee of over 800 people, I decided it was time for a change. Um, I was ready to hang up the dry cleaning bill and the hour long commute each way. And at that time, I had been buying turnkey properties for a couple of years and I still Love the idea. If I were still in the corporate world, I would still be buying turnkey properties at you know full price for what they're worth and letting other people do the rehab and find them and do all those things that are so hard to do. But at that stage, I said, you know, I really want to start providing my own product. I wanted to continue to build my portfolio, but rather than go look for another job, I threw myself into developing turnkey properties. Um, I love the Birmingham market. I continue to watch the other metros around the country, and I haven't found a reason to leave Alabama yet. (laughs) It's still the best one, in my opinion. So I came in here. I had the contractor relationship. I had some realtor relationships because I was close to the ground, and I decided that this would be where I would make the stand. So about eight months ago, I started marketing directly to distressed sellers, networking with wholesalers, buying properties in neighborhoods where I would want to own a property long-term, learning which neighborhoods were A and which were C, which would have some better appreciation or which might have more cash flow and less appreciation, talking to all those locals. Again, I would come here when there's a RIA meeting. I still live in the West Palm Beach area. I flew here this morning. You guys attended one, what, a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so th- this is 100% of my business. It's it's funny. I wake up in the morning and I check the newspaper and the weather here before yeah. I look at it. Where I, <laughs> this, is, this is my world. And, you know, what I do with that is I'm basically looking to buy properties, develop them into high-grade rentals, high-grade turnkey properties, and then hold them. 
And in doing that, I also provide them to other people who want to buy a turnkey property, not at a huge volume. Sometimes it's one a month, sometimes it's three a month. But I really don't make a distinction between which ones I'm going to hold and which ones I'm going to sell. Um, you know, I've been asked, well, you must cherry pick. Yeah, I, I pretty much do take the best ones and offer them for sale. I do, because what I'm trying to do is build basically a network of people mm -hmm. who have the same goal that I do. Yeah. I don't have to have the best one. Sometimes good is good enough. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at my portfolio, if I'm ready for another C plus or I'm ready for another A minus, it doesn't mean that you are. Yeah. You, you might just need three more Bs. Mm -hmm. and, and round out that portfolio diversification that you've mm -hmm. talked about. So the way that I look at, you know, providing a property to somebody is first, is this a neighborhood where if my sister is going to buy her first rental property, would I feel comfortable with her buying in this neighborhood? Mm -hmm. And this property and this level of renovation and this price. And if my sister who doesn't own rental properties today, if I think this would be a good fit for her, then I will buy that property and bring it to that level and I will offer it to a brand new person. And if nobody wants to buy it, I will happily slide that over into my holding company and use that to build my own portfolio. So my approach is I try to hold as many as I can. I sell as many as I need to, but I'm, I'm not looking to grow that into a big volume or you know, be a gigantic provider. I'm just focusing on a boutique niche level golden rule you know, I want the person who buys the house from me to come back for another one. And I want them to be happy with their property management. I want to see them get a great tenant. It's a very, I don't know if it's a good analogy, but in Italian, a trattoria is kind of like a family home restaurant. Okay. You'll, you'll see restaurants in Italy that are called trattorias. Okay. It's basically a living room with a couple of tables in it. <laughs> and the family's in the back cooking the meal for their household that day, but they'll also set a few places and people will come in and pay for them. And that's that, the that, greatest that's idea. It's a ever. little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, need, Italy, I need to go visit Italy. <laughs> and that's kind of how I'm doing this. So it's a business. Um, I'm, I'm producing. And I didn't mean to throw you under the bus of like have everyone in the world call you, like, give me one of your properties, Chris, but. The, I just like what I like what you provide. It it it, it impresses me the the just the quality of you your person impresses me as the way that you do this, the way you handle your business. It's just it's worthy of a benchmark. Yeah, and the, and the, not only that, but the quality of this process. Yeah, so well, I appreciate that, but you are also integral to that because <laughs> when I see a house and I'm not familiar with that neighborhood, you're one of the first people I'm calling. And the first question I want to ask you is, is, would you be happy as a manager of this? Sure. What do you think of the rental rates? What do you think of the values? And your polygons and you help me get through <laughs> you know, that analysis. And I talk to a couple of different people. And then I see, you know, okay, can I really make this work? So, again, if, if it's not something I sell my relative or something I sell a close friend, I'm not going to make an offer on it in the first place. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to put a lot of deals out there and, and make a lot of money selling houses. I'm just trying to go slow and steady and good product and good relations and you know, avoid, and so far it's worked, avoid any negative relationships sure. out there by just making sure that I'm highly selective. Um, like I said earlier, you don't want to assume that because it made it onto someone's website yeah. it's a good deal. Well, I try to do that, 
where it's like, hey, if I'm going to sell it, I think it's a good deal. Yeah. Don't you assume it. Sure. But it's already made it through me as a filter saying, mm -hmm. I would hold this property. I would keep this property. I would be proud to show this property to my children one day yeah. if they come here with me. So that, that's the view that I take on that providing. And that, that's what I like. I mean, I think that approach is much more much more easy of a goal to, for our listeners to set themselves I, because they think someone who provides a bunch of turnkeys, I think in their head they're thinking people that are doing like what you're talking about that come through and buy a whole bunch and just make a, a smaller margin on it because right. they're buying 100, 200 houses. Or they they hear somebody who's bought one or maybe two and, well, that's not really worth it to me. They've only made, they, they, they made you know, $10,000 total in the end of it. What's, what's worth that? I think the, the way that you... Just that slow and steady. I think that's a that's an that's a approachable goal for someone to have getting into this. It's, it's right. a way to to all right, okay. You well, can, fa yeah, fast and furious is not the approach you want to yeah. necessarily take you have to, to dial in your system. This is the yeah. project manager in me. I mean, I started at one per month for the first few months, and then two per month, and then three per month, and it's to get those systems down really well. You don't want to get too far over your skis, mm -hmm. and I intend to continue to ramp that up so i don't want to say what i'll never do sure maybe in five years i'll have a different approach maybe in two years but today i can put out three houses a month fairly comfortably mm -hmm. provided i can find them that's the challenge is getting that yeah. in the right neighborhoods at the right price mm -hmm. i can sell it for a good number so it's um it's very very rewarding you know, at, at this rate, if I can continue to put one or two per month into my own portfolio, I'm growing at a great speed. If I can provide one or two per month to other people, I'm helping you build your clientele. Yeah. I'm building a network, and it's, it really works out well. That's, that's great. Well, and I don't know if it's appropriate to, to use the example we talked about at lunch, but um, I just think it, it speaks volumes of who you are and how you conduct your business, the property with the driveway. Um I'll leave it up to you if you want to talk about I, it. I think that's a good story. Just as a man, it's like a highlight of how at least your your outlook on this pro, this this process and how you really truly mean like well how would I, how would I feel if I purchased this property? Yeah, and that's why I went into that. I thought it might be a, a good mean, time to discuss something. It's you know the, the way that you look at it as I'm providing this product. I want to stand behind it. Do you mind if I, I mean, just kind of Go tell ahead. that story. It, Chris sold a property that, that he had rehabbed. The rehab was great. It was done really well. The property sold and, and it just had not had a tenant in there when we sold it. I think the, the price on it was fine. And I think we actually have a tenant in it like now. But right. uh, before I, I explained to him that, hey, I think we have a tenant going in there. One of the first things that he was saying today at lunch was, you know, if, if I went back out there and, and did... You know, this improvement and this. Chris doesn't own this product. He doesn't own this house anymore. But he was just just the. the yeah, but the basis of the basis of um, the scope that he was considering yeah. was based on feedback from right, from the leasing yeah. agents saying this was coming up on the showings. This is this was the feedback that we got. Right. Didn't have a good driveway. Right. Yeah, didn't have a good driveway. And and Chris was just willing to get get out there and fix that that issue or, or, or handle that uh, objection or feedback. Right. So, well, and the, and the premise of this is to say, okay, Chris understands now, but he sold it to someone who's going to have to have 
you know, a tenant's going to move out. We're going to have to remarket the property at mm-hmm. some point yeah. during ownership. So if it's, you know, if it's an obstacle now, it's going to be an obstacle then. Mm-hmm. So being proactive, addressing it for the person that purchased the property back to Chris's point and drawing them back in as a return client. Absolutely. And and not just to say that that's, everyone should buy their houses from Chris, which they might should. That's, but that's just not your average scenario. It's not, but it's a good way to conduct your business if you're getting into this business outside of our markets yes. or, or even in our markets. Um, if, if you're doing right. business that way, the the returns you're getting may, may not be in that instance, you know, you're not getting, making money putting a driveway out out in that property that you don't own anymore necessarily. But it, what you're getting is the person that owned it and the tenant. All right, I know what this quality product is from this company, which is Portfolio Properties, which is you. I mean, that, that's what this it's is the golden rule. Yeah. If, if I had bought that house, for one thing, that house is in a C market. Mm-hmm. I, we were clear with the buyer that's probably not going to appreciate a lot. Mm-hmm. But if cash flow is great. The house was eighty thousand dollars, and the rent was nine hundred or nine fifty. Nine fifty in an eighty thousand dollar house. So we beat the one percent. Yeah. And the, the comment came back, and I, we we did all kinds of work that was above and beyond the right. scope. Mm-hmm. We changed out all the plumbing under the house. We we kept going, but when it was sitting empty, and it, I think it was only empty for about four weeks after we yeah. sold it, but I wasn't comfortable because I'm getting these weekly reports on tenant showings. And I wanted that buyer to have that property rented and to collect rent before his first mortgage came. Mm-hmm. Mortgage payments due on the first of the month after. Yeah. How mortgage payment works. So, you know, if I bought that house and it was empty and I was in California like this buyer, I believe is where he lived, and, and I'm worried, well, why don't I have a tenant yet? I see this comment about, well, there isn't a great driveway. It was basically some grass. The thought was, let's go tamp it down and put down some stone and at least give them a rock driveway to pull in on. If somebody came back and said, Chris, we sold you the house last month and we see the challenge that this is, we'd like to come back and do that, I would think, wow, I would go back to that person. Absolutely. I would buy from, if my sister bought that house from me, I would say, you know what, I'm going to go in and get the driveway done. Fortunately, you told me, well, we just rented it out for sure. 50 So he's in. He's got a great situation. Yeah. That's, that's the type of thing that and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but I just figure I'm willing to spend that extra thousand dollars or whatever it would have cost just to make that goodwill and to sleep good and to feel like, you know, it, it's not cut and run. It's not I'm going to put anything out there that I think can sell. I want those people to be happy that they bought that house yeah. and refer other people and come back for more and everybody in the process to be happy. I want the tenant to be happy. And I think that's going to really set you up and set you apart also for, for a long, long career in this. If, as long as you want to take it with that attitude, I don't think, I don't think you can go downhill from that. Cause you're right. It's all about, it's all about relationships. Yeah. Every yeah. bit of this. And I like to uh, if you burn down, enough you bridges. Avoid you negative anywhere. relationships. And yeah. that's, that's precisely what that's doing. So you're, you're taking away those barriers that can be perceived mm-hmm. like, something wasn't done correctly in the first place or whatnot. But we, we've seen that with general contractors as well. Yeah. Um, we work with one on a regular basis that goes above and beyond. I always use the example of uh, when describing this general contractor to potential clients, it's like, you know what? You know, we had a firehouse that actually did the rehab on the firehouse. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we have a few of those from time to time, but oh, I know it's funny. the one thing he did, he did a great job on the interior. Um, the insurance claim didn't allot anything for the exterior. And, uh, when he got done with the product, he was just like, you know what? Let's put my seal on it. He says, I'm, I'm going to paint the exterior and I'm not going to charge him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just something he did added a tremendous amount of value to the property. And then as a result, the client, who's a large client of ours, actually has used him exclusively for yeah. any any rehab work for them. So, and my general contractor does that with me. Yeah, I hire him. I get a written scope, and then when I'm done, and I say, "Okay, I'm marketing this house. Is all, everything on the scope completed?" He usually says, "Well, I did some more." <laughs> that he's not charging me for. Yeah, he he sprays insulation in the attic, which doesn't even benefit the homeowner. It just benefits yeah. the tenant right. you know, so there's always those few extra things and, that, and that's a sign of a craftsman to me yeah it is and whether it's you or whether it's the general contractor uh, taking pride in your craft exactly so. and I think that's that's really my final thoughts in this is is being an almost an artisan in whatever part that you're doing whatever piece you're playing in this game is do it well do it to the best of your ability and then make those relationships and keep them important to you for other people that can specialize in something that you don't. Right. Right. So I, I guess my uh, my final thoughts were I, I'm glad that you're here with us today, Chris. Uh, appreciate the time with you today, uh, as always. But, you know, I really want to set this up so that if, if somebody wants to reach out to Chris with some questions, I uh, want to contact you directly with any you know, for any any type of additional advice or questions on what we've talked mm-hmm. about today, uh, how might they best reach you and, and let you put that out there? And we, we also will push our information out at the end as well. Absolutely. Sure. No, I'm, I'm happy to help out if someone just wants to share information or ask questions or talk. And the uh, best way to contact me is by email. My email is chris, C-H-R-I-S, at PortfolioPG.com, which stands for Portfolio Property Group. Chris at PortfolioPropertyGroup.com. Um, I will answer every email, and I'm happy to help people out. And um, I want to communicate that I appreciate the work that you all do with me. Um, I've been with different property managers, and the accessibility and communication and clear role expectations, you have a fantastic team. Thank you. I'm glad I found you, and I'm glad that my tenants have you, too. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, And if you want to reach Jonathan and I, uh, so we have our email address is podcast at ahiproperties.com. Again, that's podcast at ahiproperties.com. Any questions, um, just anything you want to throw out there for us yeah. to discuss, we'd love to hear it and we'll get back to you. Uh, distribution list goes out to both of us and we'll jump yeah, right on that. And I, I, I had a, a listener comment that you know came to me today that I, that I handled from uh, um, a previous episode. So, I mean, I, I love getting these questions. Any, anybody that has anything, please send, send a question. And even if it's just for clarification, because that's yeah. essentially what it was yeah. earlier today. Yeah. So uh, with that, we'll wrap up today and we thank you for your time and uh, come back and listen to us next week. Absolutely. We will see you next Monday. Thank you very much. Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our preferred partners, Rootstock. So what if there was an investing platform that allowed you to collect passive income and generate average annualized returns of over 8% in markets across the U.S., not just the ones in your backyard? With Rootstock.com, you can buy, sell, and own investment properties the way the pros do it and start earning passive income right away. So don't wait. 
Reach out to them today and get started on Roofstock.com. The songs Lobby Time, Retro Future Clean, and Rocket Power were created by Kevin McLeod of Incomputech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Visit creativecommons.org licenses by 3.0 on the web.